hello and welcome to the first episode of the Calcasieu Crime Cast, a podcast presented by the Calcasieu Parish District Attorney's Office. Um, my name is Bethany Bryant. I'm the Communications Director here for our office, and my co-host is Mr. Stephen Dwight, our District Attorney. All right, here we go. First time. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about why we started this podcast. It's just to get to get uh, reach out to the community and then let everybody know kind of what we do behind the scenes. You, you see what we do in the media and things like that. But this is just kind of get to know me and get to know our office on a different level. And I think this is great. Yeah. And we also really wanted to bring community leaders and, you know, let our community know like what's going on. Um, behind the scenes with every aspect of our community, our mayors, our judges. Sure. Every every time we have one, we're going to have some community leader come in and, and kind of tell us what they're doing and what they're doing in their office or where they see our community going, um, what's some of the issues facing our community. And I think that will help um, just the, the citizens of Calcasieu Parish understand, you know, everything that's evolving here in Calcasieu Parish, because we have a lot going on here. Absolutely. So let's get to know you a little more. So I would like to know um, how you got into the legal world. Well, my dad's an attorney. So, you know, when I was little, when they'd say, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I wanted to be my dad. And my dad was an attorney. I looked up to him. He was also my my coach in, in, in sports growing up. So that's somebody I always looked up to and something I wanted to do. Um, and after I went to law school, I came back to practice with my dad. I mean, I knew that's what I wanted to do is work with my dad. And that's what I did. So was it always your dream to be DA or did that come on once you got experience? No, not necessarily. You know, that wasn't my dream. Um, but after I finished law school, I came back and Sheriff Mancuso hired me to be general counsel at the sheriff's department. And that's something that I didn't really see my career path going, but after being involved with law enforcement for so many years, helping Sheriff Mancuso grow that office, it's something that I, I kind of, um, it, it, it led me to what I wanted to do. I went into the legislature, still not knowing if I wanted to be DA or not, but it's a path that I, that I chose and I, it's a great choice that I made. I love every day of it. So let's talk about being state representative. How long were you a state rep and what was that like? It was five years. You know, when I was in college, I worked at the Louisiana Senate. So that that's what kind of got my interest. We were always involved. My family, myself, was always involved in politics behind the scenes, but I never was on the front side of it. So I chose to run for state rep in the, in the, the Moss Bluff, Westlake area. And it was great. You know, I, I loved it. I was there for five years. My first year, my first term um, was very volatile. You know, it, you started to see a lot of partisan politics. And in my second term, I actually worked my way up into leadership, and I was the chairman of, of one of the most powerful committees. And it, and it was fun. I have a lot of great friends over there, a lot of great memories, but I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I, I did that, um, and it, it helped mold me to become a better person and a better leader by being a state representative. Wow, that's awesome. Is there anything that really stuck out during your time as a state rep, something that you may have passed? or it, You know, I, I I handled a lot of legislation. I handled some of the criminal justice reform package, but it was for the victim side of it. That, that's the only part of the package that I was comfortable handling. But th there was a lot of of, uh, of legislation that we debated, we handled um, that was good. What I didn't like about it, it was I'm a handshake type of guy, and not everybody over in the legislature is that. And I expected that from everyone. So you learn you learned your lessons. You learn from your mistakes on who to trust, who not to trust. 
Um, but I wanted to work with everybody when I was over there. I wasn't afraid to wa- uh, work across party lines. Um, and I got that reputation that I wanted to do what was right, not necessarily what was political. And um, I think that's why I, I rose in leadership, because I was able to work with everyone across the board. But it, it was a great lesson. Uh, I'm glad I did it. I felt I, I represented the district well, brought some brought some projects back to our area. Um, but I'm glad I checked it off the box and I don't need to go back. I, I want to be here for a long time. Good. You said that you're a handshake guy. And I think our staff here sees that with our first year being in office. Tell us about your first year in office as DA and what was something that maybe you didn't expect, some challenges and what has exceeded your expectations? Well, this is our first podcast. We just had our one year anniversary. And it's been an extraordinary year. You know, it's a lot of surprises, a lot of things that I wasn't expecting, some things I was I was expecting. But when I ran for office, it was during COVID. It was after the hurricanes or during the hurricanes. It was during COVID. So it was a very odd election. And then actually during our transition, I contracted COVID. And it was hard to actually transition into the office. And I was trying to get to know everybody, trying to interview everybody. I couldn't do that because I was positive for COVID. So when we get here, our office had a backlog of cases. We hadn't had court in almost a year because of either the hurricane damages or the COVID closure as a result of the Supreme Court closing uh, the courthouse. So we had a huge backlog of cases that we needed to tackle. And our administrative team came together and came up with some proposals on how to screen cases better, how to prioritize cases. And we're doing a great job of that. But it, it was the backlog and and just trying to navigate how to prosecute cases during this COVID area and having all the safeguards in place, not only at the courthouse, but also here at our office, what to do when somebody contracts COVID, um, that type of things, and still getting to know everybody at the office. You know, I'm trying to get around, visit with everyone. I can't. I have a mask on. I'm stuck in my office. They're stuck in theirs, but I still want to get together. So that's that's been something, but uh, I think we've I think we've gotten through it. I think we've I think had some- we have. I think despite those challenges, I think the morale just from when we started last January to now, it really has changed and it it really is a family atmosphere. And I think the leadership team that you created, it just flows beautifully and everyone in the office has a great communication and so tell us a little bit about that. Like your your leadership, how it just works. I don't want anybody to ever feel like they work for me. I want them to feel like they work with me. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, you know, I'm hands off on the prosecutors. If they need my help or they need something, I'll help them. But I want to give them the tools to succeed. I want them to try their cases that they want to try. With the support staff, whatever they need, I want to get them. But I also want to have that family atmosphere. I want everyone to know we have each other's back. And... it, it takes a little while to get there because I got to build their trust and know that I'm here for them. And, if, you know, if they have a problem, it's my problem and I'm going to solve their problem because I have their back and I, I'm here for them, it, whether it's professional or personal. You know, so that's one of the things that, that surprised me coming into office was the administrative side of it. I didn't realize how much of an administrative duty I would have here. But it, it, my office is a revolving door. People are coming in and out which I like that. You know, I get here early in the morning. I uh, have coffee early. And I stay late. So I love what I'm doing and I hope to be here for a long time. Yeah, I feel like, well, I think I can speak for everyone. We 
we all know that there's a goal to reach and we all know what that goal is. And you kind of let us all get there in our own way. As long as we're reaching that goal, you're okay with that. And you just let us have free range, basically. Yeah. And it's getting my philosophies to everyone. You know, everyone has a different goal in mind. But, you know, justice to one person may not be justice to another person. So it's trying to let everyone know what I believe is justice and what I think is justice. Sometimes it's giving somebody a second chance and sometimes it's holding their feet to the fire and actually going all the way and prosecuting them to the fullest. And that that's a balancing test that, that we have done. Me, my administrative team, my leadership team, um, everyone. And I think everyone's bought in. And I think that's why we have such a good thing going right here. And, and I look, I'm a little biased, but I think we have the best office, not only in the state, but in the country. I think people are looking at us saying, what are y'all doing over there? I mean, people are wanting to come work for us. People are, are, are now wanting to come here and work for the DA's office. And that makes me proud that we've already achieved that in our first year. Well, that's like you said, we're a team. And I think our social media can reflect that. You're, you always want to highlight the behind the scenes people, not just yourself. Like, yeah, this is your office, but it, it, it involves everyone. And um, that's really commendable. It, it is. It, it's a team effort. I mean, we can't do anything unless everything works. And I want everyone to, to understand that, that it is a team and we have built a family and everyone has their back and we work on this together. When we go to trials, you see people stepping up and helping out. You know, it's not just one prosecutor in there. It's multiple prosecutors stepping up. How can I help? What can I do? Support staff the same way. What can I do? What can I help? Um, and, and just even our appellate divisions in there. What can we do? What can we help? Because at the, they see the end goal. And that's to get justice for these victims, these families in Calcasieu Parish. So let's talk about our first year. So we have created a few programs, a few services. So we've had contractor fraud, which was a huge hit. Talk a little bit about that. It's unfortunate that we had to start that. You know, we were victims of two hurricanes. And I don't think everyone outside of Calcasieu Parish understands that. They don't understand the what we went through and the devastation that we went through here in Calcasieu. So we're a victim of that. But then when we start making our repairs, we become victims again because these contractors come in, a lot of them from out of town, come in and take advantage of, of our citizens and our elderly, our, our entire community. And we we're getting flooded with phone calls. And I just, we couldn't stand for that. We couldn't sit there and let that happen. But I wanted to have the same set a criteria on how we were going to prosecute everyone. And that's why we created this contractor fraud task force. I got with Sheriff Mancuso and he was on board from day one. And that's when we got with the Better Business Bureau, you know, the contractor board, the sheriff's office. And, and we came up with this collaborative effort on how to tackle this, how to address this to make sure that we're not a victim again. And it really worked because Hurricane Ida, I believe it was Hurricane Ida hit, um, another part of our state and those district attorney's offices even reached out to you for help. And we just gave them everything we had for our contractor fraud response team so they could replicate that in their parish. Yeah. We wanted them to start it off on the front end. You know, it, it, like I said, it's a shame that we had to start it, but I wanted them to know this is what's going to happen after your, after your hurricane comes through. These are the steps that they're going to take. And, and look, it's from the, the tree guys, to the roofers, to the fence guys. It, it's not one area of the contractor team that's coming in. It, it's it's everyone. And 
they were very appreciative, and I'm glad that they could just take that model and copy it over there. I think it's helping. It's definitely helped, and the amount of people that we have helped, I mean, it's in the hundreds now. Oh, certainly, and we're seeing a lot of the same ones, but, you know, we're still getting phone calls because people are still fighting with their insurance companies. They're fighting with their contractors, and we're seeing the same ones over and over. So if anyone is listening and sees that, 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 hey, we're taking these cases, and we're trying to get justice, we're trying to get you reimbursement, we're trying to make you whole, um, and it's unfortunate we're having to do that. But I mean, it's it's over a year later, and we're still dealing with contractor fraud. Our, our hotline is still hot. And that's unfortunate, but it's still hot. And, and uh, but w- that's not something that we're here to play with. And then the tornadoes that just hit. Yes, yes. It, so, it just doesn't end. No, those those poor people south of town. You know, they had just a lot of them. Some of our employees just gotten their their floors installed. I think one of the sheriff's deputies was in the in the flooding too. The you know we had some flooding where they had just had their 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 floors repaired, and then the flooding comes in. Um, but that's where, you know, a lot of our, our nonprofits have really stepped up to, he- to help our community, and I applaud them, too. Well, I think we've set a clear message that contractor fraud isn't tolerated here in our parish. So No, and whether it's $7,500 or whether it's $750,000, we don't care the amount. We're going to prosecute them to the fullest to make sure that our victims are made whole. So that was one of the programs that we've created we also have our special victims unit that you just recently announced. What are you looking forward to with that program? Well, it's just something. Those are severe cases. And it's, you know, when you, when you review the cases, I've been here a year. And at first it used to shock me. Now I'm just, I'm, I'm not surprised, or I guess I am surprised of how many bad people we have here in Calcasieu Parish. And we have some evil people that you don't realize until you see it here at the DA's office. And those are the people that these are the victims that really need help and that they need more assistance than some of the others. I'm not saying that that they're more important, but they need more assistance. And that's where we tried to come up with and give them more victims assistance coordinators to help them go through that process, prioritize those cases, take prosecutors that specialize in those cases, get them the training and get them the need, get them the specialization they need to prosecute these cases to the fullest. I can't imagine what it's like being a victim and then being thrown into the criminal justice system. I mean, I've been here a year and I had no political or criminal law experience and I'm still learning a lot. So I can't imagine, you know, the confusion and the questions that these victims have. But luckily, the SVU team is holding their hand the whole way and guiding them and advocating on their behalf. Yeah, and the criminal justice system can be complicated so that they need help, like you said, just holding their hand to navigate the process because I don't want to get caught up on just prosecuting the case. We need to make sure that they're getting the assistance they need from the victim standpoint, from counseling to just what's going to happen next. And we want to make sure they understand everything, that they're involved, and that they know what's happening, why it's happening. Um, It's better communication. uh, That's what we needed. And we've talked about even expanding to have more victims assistance coordinators, also known as VACs. Is that because we just didn't realize that there was so much horrible crimes happening? Yeah. And look, like I said earlier, better communication is always you can't have enough communication. And, you know, too many people have unanswered questions about 
what's my what's happening with my case? Where is it going? What's, and when they call and ask our prosecutors, it's, it's drawing our prosecutors away from preparing for the, the, the cases with victim assistance coordinators. Hey, they can say, hey, this is what's going on with your case. This is this is where you need to be. This is what we're doing. How are you doing? How are you handling this? Um, we, they sit with them during the trials. They prep them for the trials. It's just it, it's someone there to get them through a difficult time um, because this is going to be one of the lowest parts of their lives because there are some very disturbing cases out there, um, unfortunately. But we're here to hold their hand and get them through that. Right. So we've talked about a lot of our achievements and one of the goals that I want this podcast to be have is to be just be transparent as possible. So is there anything you've noticed in our first year that you wish you could have done differently or any regrets, mistakes? I mean, you always take two steps forward, one step back. And sometimes when we're coming in from a different administration, we want to make changes and we want to do certain things. Some things work. Some don't. Some some things we, we try. We had a backlog of discovery. We tried to make some some changes to to do that. Some of the changes worked. Some of them didn't. Um, it's just trying to make this office as efficient as it as it can be. And we still have a long way to go from computer upgrades to and all that takes money. Well, when you're not having court, we're funded through fines and fees and court costs. And when you're not having court, that means you're not having revenue coming in. So, you know, not only am I dealing with prosecuting cases, I'm also dealing with a, a, a budget and trying to balance a budget. And we're dealing with a deficit because we haven't had cases. Um, but, you know, one of the things that kind of surprised me um, and keeps me up at night is the juvenile crime here in, in, in southwest Louisiana. You know, my the first murder that happened during my administration was the Walmart case that everyone's familiar it's a very with. Very popular case. And it, it was just that was tough because. You know, I went to the scene that night and uh, it was tough seeing the, those little girls there because they're my girls ages. So it was tough seeing them um, with no parents, you know, and what they were what they were being accused of and just their demeanor at the scene. It was disturbing. And I was just trying to figure out where did we lose them and what can we do going forward? And that's when we partnered with Big Brothers and Big Sisters and and came up with some programs for them because – if you think about it, in elementary school, there's D.A.R.E. There's the D.A.R.E. program and everything. But when you get to middle school, when you get to that sixth grade through 10th grade, that's where, really when they're at the crossroads. And there's nothing there. You don't have, you have D.A.R.E. in elementary school, but there's nothing there. And that's when they're the most vulnerable. So um, I'm glad that we've been in the program for about a year. It's a mentoring program that I think is going to do great things. We partnered with them. The sheriff's office partnered with them. The police jury partnered with them. The city of Lake Charles partnered. We all saw the need, mm-hmm. and 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 we're trying to help. And, and it, because it, it was disturbing, because I have young kids, right. and it's, it's it, the juvenile crime increase is something we need to to address head on as a community. I think that that mentor you program will be. I'm sure it's. It's doing great things. It is. I, we get updates from Aaron Davidson with with Big Brothers Big Sisters and what they're doing, um, and they're getting more grants outside of what, what how we partnered with them. So it, it's doing great things. It's it's taking those troubled youth, it's identifying them and giving them opportunities to to, to do what's right and and to it, it's identifying the ones that need the assistance. And that's what I like about that program. 
So you mentioned that you had kids. What do they think about you being DA? Are they interested like you were following in your, your dad's footsteps? I don't think so. I mean, they, they're embarrassed when they see the billboards. They're embarrassed when I, they see me on TV. They're like, oh, my God, Dad, I can't believe you wore that shirt or I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you said that. Um, but they do attend a lot of events with me. We had the Mardi Gras event the other night where we cut the ribbon. My kids were there with me. Um, I try to include them as much as I can because it's, it, it's a family here, but it's also my family at home. And they're part of me in this in this community. So, look, the, the, campaigning, they know how to put out T-posts and put out yard signs. They know how to walk neighborhoods. Um, but I think they're proud of what we're doing here. You know, I think they're proud of what we stand for here at our office. Um, and that makes me proud that, that they see that. I mean, Hudson's that. been here before running around the halls. H- Hudson's, a, Hudson's a delivery sometimes. That's usually because he and his mama aren't getting along, so that <laughs> she sends him up here. But I put him to work when he comes up here. Um, but uh, I could see maybe one or two going to law school and being prosecutors. Um, I would encourage it. I think it's something that I wouldn't discourage it because it's it's a job that's very fulfilling and very needed. And uh, it, it just it, it has a place in my heart that I'll always Well, who love. knows? Maybe one of them will be... DA one day. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I I think this was a good first podcast. You know, I think I look forward to the next ones. Uh, We're going to have some elected officials come in, some community leaders, not necessarily elected officials, just community leaders. And if anybody has any ideas on somebody that wants to come in, let us know. Call us, contact us, uh, you know, reach out on our social media and, uh, Hey, we're going to have some or any topics that people are interested yeah. in. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a section on our website that's dedicated to the podcast. So listeners can send in their questions um, if they want to ask a certain person in our office, a certain community leader question. That's where they can drop those questions in. Um, but yeah, this is our first episode. I came to you with this idea and we didn't know how we were going to get here, but we're here now. And it's just another innovative way to reach the community. And I'm really excited about it. I thought this was great. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure you tune in. Um, We're going to be updating our YouTube channel with a few podcast clips. And um, we'll post our next episode on our Facebook. Bye.